morning. I'm Kent Garrett. Welcome to another edition of the Last Negroes at Harvard Daily Podcast. In this edition, we are honored to bring you two segments from Emmanuel Achoa's Uncomfortable Conversations series. It is a series that is worth listening to and watching. It is a groundbreaking platform that seeks to unify individuals on opposite sides of the spectrum to have a conversation in an effort to understand each other. Acho first speaks with Palestinian-American Nora Erekat, and his second interview is with Israeli-born Jewish author Noah Tishbe. On October 7th, my heart was broken when I became aware of the atrocities occurring in our world. Bombings, kidnappings, mutilation, murder. I'm reminded that not all Jews and Israelis are their government, just like not all Palestinians are Hamas. The intention of this episode is to highlight the civilians that are hurting at the unfolding of this international crisis. This episode was recorded on October 15th. Viewer discretion is advised. Israel is at war. We have active fronts of fighting in three different geographical areas. The Hamas took even more hostages than demolished over 3,700 residential buildings. Residents are essentially living on the front lines. This is already the single largest loss of life in a single day in Israeli history. So this will loom large now. Welcome to another episode of Uncomfortable Conversations with Emmanuel Acho. Though our world is at war, may we never lose our appetite for humanity. Real hurt, real pain, real people. And I'm here to acknowledge it all as I ask you to do the same. I'm joined now by Palestinian-American, Nora Erekat, a daughter, a mother, a woman who's dedicated her life to the fight for freedom, of which Palestinians should not be excluded. Nora, let me ask you, how are you doing in this moment in light of everything going on in your world? I appreciate the question, Emmanuel. Um, it's very hard. It's very hard. I'm pushing through a tremendous amount of grief anger, anxiety. Um, we're all on, sitting on, on the edge of, of watching a mass atrocity take place in 2023. When you say we, who is the we you're referring I'm to? I'm speaking as a Palestinian. I'm speaking, as you mentioned, I am the daughter of Palestinians. My ancestors are Palestinians. I do this for them. I do this for my daughter and the generations to come. I do this for all people. How has this impacted you personally? Because obviously, from a professional standpoint, this is something you've dedicated your life to, but you're more than your occupation. So how has this impacted you personally on a human level? My cousin was traveling from Abu Dis to Bethlehem, another Palestinian city, and there was a checkpoint separating them. On the day of his sister's wedding, June 26, 2020, he rented a Hyundai in order to decorate it as one would to take the bride to her on her wedding day. There was a vehicle malfunction that's been demonstrated by an organization called Forensic Architecture. The car veers out of control, it hits the checkpoint, 
Four Israeli armed officers are there. One of them falls, gets right back up on her feet. This is all on video. Two of the soldiers shoot my cousin above the waist six times in two seconds. Then they leave him out to bleed to death. There's an Israeli ambulance that comes to check on the soldier, refuses to treat him. The Palestinian ambulance comes to treat him. They refuse access to the Palestinian ambulance. They leave him out to die. And then since then, have held his body hostage, his corpse, at the Greensburg Forensic Institute in Tel Aviv University. For the past three years, they won't let us bury him. Just hearing that story is gut-wrenching. So when you recant that story, what emotions run through your body? For a long time, I couldn't tell that story without crying. Because it's very traumatic. Because it was also public. Everybody watched it. It was disgusting and horrifying. And we fought really, really hard just to get his body back. There's something about being Palestinian where you're not born in Palestine. Uh, you know, this is survivor's guilt. Like what fortune had it that my parents, you know, birthed me in, in California, as opposed to Rafah or Gaza City or Khan Yunis, where I could be right now. Absolute fortune. That I have a, that I'm here and not there right now. The thing that I've done and that I've learned to do is that I don't struggle from a place of guilt anymore. I did that for a long time. But I struggle from a place of love. And that love enables me to be hopeful about a future and enables me to forgive myself to also live. And today, however, was especially hard because I saw the news that a 71-year-old landlord attacked a mother and her child in their home, their landlord. He knocked on the door, began to strangle her, screamed that you Muslims all must die, and then stabbed them, stabbed the six-year-old boy, Wadir al-Fayyumi, let us speak his name, 26 times, 26 times. And that horrifies me, that horrifies me. Are you scared to walk around as a Palestinian in America today? I'd be an idiot not to be. Especially after what I saw today. Well, if you read my inbox too. You know, some messages literally tell me, go back to Palestine so we can kill you too. Wow, you get messages like that. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm, I can't, I'm so desensitized, I'm so used to it. And even if I told somebody, it doesn't raise the same amount of concern. When do you allow yourself time to be human? Right now with you, I suppose. I'm being very honest. I'm vulnerable in front of your entire set. It's really hard. I don't know what they think. I don't know if they think I deserve to be free. This is my greatest vulnerability and my greatest strength to be able to say that and to do it over and over again. What is someone who is on the outside looking in supposed to make of the atrocities that occurred on October 7th? I hope that they feel horror. This, is, this should be mind-boggling. But I hope that they also ask, why? But it, that, that seems like an insensitive question to ask in the midst of rape, mutilation, murder, bombings, to ask why 
is what many would submit is a insensitive question to ask, and this is not the time to ask why, when babies are being killed, when women are being killed, when families are being murdered, to ask why in and of itself seems like an insensitive question, many would suggest. What is at stake when we don't ask why? After we mourn, after we mourn the atrocity, because we're human and there's grief, what is at stake when we do not ask why? History repeating itself. What we're seeing right now, no civilian deserves to suffer but that does not absolve us of asking, how did we fail as an international community? It is gut-wrenching to be watching this and then to be hearing people around me basically say it's our fault. Can you paint the picture of the Palestinian experience over the last 70 or 80 years or since the late 1940s? In the aftermath of the Arab-Israeli war in 1948, 800,000 Palestinians are removed from their home and not allowed to return. They are forcibly exiled. Their homes are taken over. None of this is controversial. None of this is, this is the new Israeli historians have verified this. Palestinian historians have shown this in tremendous painstaking detail. What is controversial is whether or not it's okay for Palestinians to be sacrificed in this way because Jews have suffered so much, and especially in the aftermath of the Holocaust. Because people have told me, make sure you fall on the right side of history. Mm. But the problem is that one people group is telling me, make sure you fall on the right side of history. Another people group is telling me, make sure you fall on the right side of history, but their sides of history are different. How would you respond to that? Well, it depends on how you define those people groups. I think that the worst way to understand this is as an ethnic or religious conflict, right? This isn't Jew versus Palestinian. You cannot understand this as Jewish versus Palestinian because that's not fair to Jews. Elaborate on that. That's not fair to Jews. Jews have, have said, we are Jewish. That means a lot of things to a lot of people, right? They see themselves as a people beyond a religion, right? But not necessarily as a national group which is Israeli. And so they have fought alongside Palestinians for a better future. Your issue or the Palestinian issue is not with Jewish people. Never has been, never has been. There are Palestinian Jews. Why would we have any problem with Jewish people? I would claim that it's a problem with Zionism. How can both Jewish people and Palestinian people have the right to self-determination? Well, one of the ways that I've described it is that we have to understand that we have the right to all belong to this land, but not necessarily to be masters upon this land. So let me put this question back to you. What do we do if that's the condition? What I'm told as a Palestinian by people who think, well, that's too bad, we needed, we needed to create a homeland for Jews and you, you know, you're sacrificed in history. You cannot extinguish a people's thirst for freedom. Do you believe one can both be a Zionist and be a lover of Palestinian people? How? Not, not according to me, but Zionism has basically defined even the most liberal forms of Zionism. Believe that the majority of Palestinians who have been removed from their homeland and are now exiled as refugees cannot return. 
Palestinians have literally, literally, since 1968, said that they want to establish a single state for Jewish, Jews, Muslims, and Christians. There's a lot of dissension over that phrase, open-air prison, that Gaza is an open-air prison. Why do you say that it is? How would you define a prison? We define a prison as a place of captivity, one of cages that restricts people. Gaza has a beautiful shoreline on the Mediterranean Sea that Palestinians can't fish from or swim into beyond three nautical miles. We have the most beautiful coastline. Palestinians do not have the right to leave or enter without military permission. There are five points of entry and exit. Four are controlled by Israel, one is controlled by Egypt. They do not have the right to control commerce that comes in, including food. And in, in the first years of this siege, Israel had an explicit policy of maintaining Palestinians on a food caloric deficit. They do not have the right to, uh, to build, uh, to travel, they, they, they're, they're, they're trapped, they're trapped. What can I, someone who's not Jewish, someone who's not Palestinian, in 2023, what can I do to support you here on today, going forward? What can someone like me do? I think everyone can commit to freedom for all people. What's that look like practically? Well, we can all be free. My freedom doesn't threaten yours. Your freedom doesn't threaten mine. How does this end? We end it by committing to the sanctity of all civilian life. That's it, we'll stop. Well, Nora, thank you for your vulnerability. And thank you just for your time and sharing your heart. I appreciate it. Thank you for doing the same. And thank you all for tuning in to another episode of Uncomfortable Conversations with Emmanuel Acho. Remember, justice will not be served until those that are unaffected are as outraged as those that are affected. So let's continue to collectively fight for justice and fight for freedom. We'll see you next time. On October 7th, my heart was broken when I became aware of the atrocities occurring in our world. Bombings, kidnappings, mutilation, murder. I'm reminded that not all Jews and Israelis are their government, just like not all Palestinians are Hamas. The intention of this episode is to highlight the civilians that are hurting at the unfolding of this international crisis. This episode was recorded on October 15th. Viewer discretion is advised. Israel is at war. We have active fronts of fighting in three different geographical areas. The Hamas took even more hostages than Airstrikes demolished invasion. over 3,700 residential buildings. Residents are essentially living on the front lines. This is already the single largest loss of life in a single day in Israeli history. So this will loom large now. Welcome to another episode of Uncomfortable Conversations with Emmanuel Acho. Though our world is at war, may we never lose our appetite for humanity. Real hurt, real pain, real people. 
I'm joined now by Israeli-born Noah Tishby, daughter, mother, author, a woman who's dedicated her life to serving the Jewish people and community, Israel, a land which she loves. Noah, what are you feeling right now? It's been the worst week of my life and the worst week of the entire world Jewish community and Western civilization, should people understand exactly what's going on. Um, it's everyone's worst nightmares, um, generational trauma recreated. It's like all the horror stories that the Jewish community had heard about um, of mothers slaughtered in front of their children, children being burnt alive, handcuffed behind their backs, families burnt in their homes. I mean, horror stories that we've been raised with are happening in reality, and not just they're happening, they're, they're filmed and presented to the world. So what's happening right now is gonna take decades to heal, if at all. How is, how is your family? Because obviously you have family over there. How are they? Every single person I know, know people that were slaughtered in the most brutal of ways. My nieces and nephews are going to like double, triple, quadruple, quad, quadruple funerals every day. They know multiple families that have been, that have been affected by this. Yeah, where, how do we get here? On Saturday morning, uh, Israel time, 6.30 in the morning, Israel time, 8.30 p.m. Uh, Friday night uh, in the West Coast. Um, Israel was surprised by a terrorist attack by the terrorist organization Hamas, which has taken over Gaza, the Gaza Strip in 2006. They started launching thousands of rockets but that was actually hiding a ground invasion operation. So the numbers, the recent numbers that I heard is 3,500 terrorists um, invaded Israel on trucks, on motorcycles, on paragliders, like gliding into Israel, armed to the T, and conquered, invaded all these towns, went one house to the next, and slaughtered every man, woman, and child that they can find. This is the most Jews that have been slaughtered since the Holocaust. In one day, yeah. How does hearing that make you feel? Like, what is your response to that ugly reality? You know, after the Holocaust, the Jewish community, we had a, a saying, uh, never again. We worked very hard to re, um, to, you know, to, to rebuild the Jewish community. Um, and we kept saying never again, and, uh, and it happened again. You feel like this is triggering that same emotional response? A hundred percent, and it's not just me. There are 15 million Jews in the world. It's a very small number that people are not aware of. People think that there are a lot more Jews in the world. But the world, the Jewish community, is 0.2% of the world population. Every single Jew around the world is having nightmares right now. Every Jewish family has a story of persecution, extermination, expulsion, uh, uh, discrimination, murder, every Jewish family. What's been the 
the hardest part for you through all of this? Is it communicating oh. these events even to your young son? Is it communicating them to loved ones? Like, mm. is it trying to go to sleep at night with horror thoughts in your mind? What's been the hardest part? I have not been sleeping through the night. I have been, you just, I've never experienced anything like that. Like you fall asleep and you just jump like that because you have these images and just, just these images of what actually went down. Um, I think, honestly, one of the worst thing for me is the lack of understanding that the world has to what went down and the support that that barbaric terrorist organization is getting. Because I've seen this sentiment from, from so many of the, my Jewish brothers and sisters that the Jewish community, they stood by the LGBTQ plus community. They stood by the black community. What do you hope that other marginalized communities would do for and with the Jewish community right now? This is a great question and I don't wanna be making anybody wrong or making anybody feel bad right now. Historically, we've been on the side of human rights. Rabbi Heschel marched with Martin Luther King on the bridge in Selma, literally front line. Uh, the Freedom Riders were slaughtered. There were Jewish people in the Freedom Riders. Like the, the, the Jewish community has been there for oppressed communities throughout the generations in the past decades. We have been feeling extraordinarily alone. You cannot say that you are a person that is supportive of human rights, women's rights, democracy, freedom of speech, LGBTQ plus rights, minorities, and stand with Hamas. At this very moment, do you as a Jewish woman walk around scared? Um, it's, it, just, it just pains me to say that yes. Like I tried not to, and I, but I haven't left the house in a week. Have you given yourself the opportunity to feel? Um, <laughs> I try not to. Why? Because then I'll fall apart. You have two people groups communicating to the world, don't fall on the wrong side of history, but they're communicating to fall on different sides of history. How is someone like me supposed to adequately assess what side of history to fall on? You don't have to love the Israeli government. You don't have to agree with every uh, action of the Israeli government. The only thing is that Israel has the right to exist. That's literally the line. Why do some argue that Zionism is racist, Zionism is oppressive, Zionism is colonialist? To be Zionist is to hate and oppress another group of people. So to ask the question, why is Zionism oppression? I would ask it, why is there no Palestine? Why is there no Palestine? We've been dying to have a Palestine for a very long time. The majority of Israel at times were like, all right, let's just, let's just find a solution here. There's a two-state solution. You guys mostly are living here. We live mostly living there. Let's divide it. Every time, and I'm saying this as clear as day, and please don't take my word for it, look it up. Every time there's been an offer for a Palestinian state, they said no, every time. What do you feel when you hear the word free Palestine? 
absolutely free Palestine. Free Palestine from Hamas. Absolutely free Palestine. Let me say one more thing, right? Gaza is not occupied by Israel. I'm going to say it again. Israel does not occupy Gaza. Israel does not occupy Gaza. When Hamas declared war on Israel on October 7, they declared war, first of all, on themselves, because there's not going to be any more Hamas. That's number one. And number two, and that's the thing that people need to understand, they declared war on their own people. Hamas is sacrificing Gaza and sacrificing Gazans. So is it possible to be pro-Palestinian and anti-Hamas? Absolutely. There are a lot of people that are like that. By the way, it's also possible to be pro-Israeli and pro-Palestinian, which is what I am. Wouldn't the answer be freedom? What do Palestinians want? Wouldn't that answer Absolutely. be freedom? Absolutely. What did we do in Gaza? That's what Israel did in Gaza. We're out. There you go. The keys. You got the keys. Israel left in Gaza greenhouses, houses, fields. You know what Hamas did to those greenhouses and fields and houses? They burnt them. I'm not kidding. We want freedom for Palestinians too. I can't say it in, too, in so many words. There were peace offering given to the Palestinian people many times throughout history. And they kept saying no. Hamas burnt down the infrastructure that Israel left. Israel go, here are the keys, get your freedom, enjoy, create then a state. Then why view Israel as the oppressor? Exactly. I'm asking you. It's a great question, Emmanuel. Is that people need to come to term and understand that they see the worst of Israel. Israel can almost do no right. With anti-Semitism, with anti-Jewish racism, it's a little bit more tricky because what you look at a Jew, you don't necessarily only look down at a Jew, you also look up at a Jew. So anti-Jewish racism also sounds like the Jewish people, they control all the, you know, they have control of they control Hollywood, they control the money, they control the banks. When you walk around and you have that unchecked subconscious bias where you think, well, then the Jews control the world, they control the American media, they control the American government. When you think that, you will believe the worst of Israel immediately. So when you hear, well, Israel's a colonial estate, obviously, and you have a subconscious bias about the Jewish people, you're going to believe it. What can someone who's unaffected, neither Jewish nor Palestinian, what can someone like me do in this moment to support someone like you? So the first thing is literally as simple as check in on your Jewish friends, be vocal on social media, do not allow for this equivocation of there, there's no, there's no, this is not, you can't compare these sides at all. And lastly, in your mind, how does this end? I have no idea how this war ends. I really don't. I, but I can tell you this. In the Jewish community, we have been through such hell in the past. And sadly, we know how to get through this. So I see already stories of unity and help and friendship and community all over the world that are helping the, the Jewish people and helping Israel. The Jewish people are extraordinarily strong. They, we say this a lot, like, but it's true. Am Yisrael Chai, the people of Israel live, and we're gonna keep living. Well, Noah, thank you for your courage. Thank you so much Thanks for having for... me, and thank you for speaking up, and thank you for being an ally. Of course, of course, it's an honor, it is.
and thank you all for tuning in to another episode of Uncomfortable Conversations with Emmanuel Acho. Remember, justice will not be served until those that are unaffected are as outraged as those that are affected. So do your part to seek and fight for and find justice. We'll see you next time. We are deeply grateful to Emmanuel Acho for his outstanding work. And that's it for this edition of The Last Negroes at Harvard Daily Podcast. 